Welcome to The Data Economy, a podcast about leaders like you who use data to drive business growth and accelerate digital innovation. I'm your host, Michael Krigsman. In this podcast, technology leaders offer practical advice and a firsthand look into modern data strategies and their digital initiatives. You can watch all the episodes on redis.com slash the data economy. We're speaking with Bulent Kaziltan, head of causal and predictive analytics at the AI Innovation Lab of Novartis. They're a huge company. This will be a fascinating conversation into data-driven drug discovery and development. Bulent, how are you? It's great to see you. It's great to see you, Michael, as well. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. Uh, Bulent, tell us about Novartis and tell us about the AI Innovation Lab. Novartis is an American-Swiss multinational company, uh, one of the uh, larger uh, pharma companies in the globe with more than 100,000 employees. AI Innovation Lab has been recently created over a year old now. The company had the uh, visionary roadmap to transform Novartis into a data science company several years ago. And in that context, uh, Novartis understood that we need to really push in the AI innovation space. And we know that uh, it is only possible to be at the frontier of AI innovation if you strategically intersect academia, tech, and pharma at the same time. And with standard and traditional data science operations, that has not been possible in the broader sense of the pharma and biotech. So AI Innovation Lab is positioned strategically to intersect the different disciplines connecting to academia, basically tapping into the know-how that's been created in that space and co-developing, co-innovating in that space with leading institutions and the pioneers of the field. Uh, Also partner with uh, tech giants such as Microsoft Research to really bring in that technology into the operations and then also cut across disciplinary lines and business units internally to uh, drive impact uh, at Novartis. Bulent, you're head of causal and predictive analytics at the AI Innovation Lab. So what does that role encompass? At the AI Innovation Lab, we have have three pillars. Uh, One of them is uh, focused on image analytics and visualization that is led by my colleague. Uh, Another pillar is NLP, which is also very specific to natural language processing and everything else uh, that we do in the AI data science and machine learning sense and advanced statistics uh, falls under uh, uh, the responsibility of my team. And in addition to what we do traditional data science, we are also building capabilities in the causal inference, causal discovery space. We're talking about data. So when you discuss causal and making inferences, that implies data. So how does data come into play in the drug discovery process? Data has been already in the very center of our decision-making process, drug discovery and development process. So while we decided several years ago to transform the internal culture and build a roadmap for Novartis to become a data science company. What we meant by that is how do we make sure we can leverage data even more effectively and make sure that our decisions 
are driven by data. And this is valid for drug discovery, drug development, and everything else that we do uh, within Novartis. So uh, specifically in the drug discovery space, uh, the uh, Novartis uh, Institute for Biological Research has already uh, large amounts of data, uh, close to 20 petabytes of data already, that uh, has images, scans, uh, chemical information, and compound libraries that have information for more than close to 2 million compounds. So how do we really combine all that information and make sure that the whole discovery and development process that takes uh, painfully uh, several years, uh, several billion dollars, how can we make it more effective, shorter, and make sure that we don't have to do everything in the lab and we can do that in silico, namely with uh, computational modeling. So uh, that's the direction we're heading. Uh, data plays a pivotal role in that whole process. Uh, the goal with data science and AI innovation is to expedite that process and tap into areas of information that we were not able to do so effectively before. So fundamentally then the difference relative to the past is using computational methods as opposed to lab-based methods. I would say in addition, we are basically augmenting the whole process. And also sometimes uh, we can simulate information and data that we can use to add to the informational evidence that was created in the lab. So we are basically partnering, not replacing the laboratory data that is coming out of that uh, effort. Uh, and in addition, we are also building capabilities that can help us to effectively combine information that are coming from what we call different modalities. For instance, if we have images, if we have chemical compounds, the traditional method of analysis and combination was to run analyses separately in those two different modalities, whereas with a new and innovative methods that is coming from the domain of data sciences, we can effectively and more efficiently combine that information to extract new insights. So is the role of data changing or is it, and I put mere, I'll say merely in quotes, gathering different kinds of data. So is, is the use of data fundamentally changing relative to the past? I would say it's evolving and it's on a continuous path of evolution, how we can really use data and create data and record data. So this is why the whole data science domain is very interdisciplinary, that we need to work together in tandem with our partners from the technology domain, uh, also work with uh, academics to bring in the cutting edge know-how, which they've built in that domain and combine that effectively to come up with new insights, come up with new methods of combination, but also we have been exploring with methods to produce new types of data to augment the whole process. How much data do you work with? Uh, it depends on the use case. Sometimes it's very limited data. Sometimes we work with uh, terabytes to petabytes in, in terms of size. But really, it, it, it depends on the use case, what area, which disease area, uh, which uh, a specific drug that we are working on. And in the healthcare domain, we basically need to build capabilities which allow us to extract information both from small and limited data as well as big data. And this is a whole spectrum of uh, information content, if you will, when it comes to what type of data and the size of the data that we work on. The future of innovation is not only 
with big data, but also we need to be able to extract effectively information from small data. So it really depends. We do tend to think of large volumes of data when it comes to activities like machine learning, but you're also working very closely with sparse data where you don't have that much data and yet you still need to drive and draw certain types of important conclusions. That is correct, Michael. Specifically in healthcare, uh, more often than not, we are limited by the amount of information that we can gather for a specific use case. We cannot just go about uh, building methodologies in vacuum and then try to apply it to uh, different use cases uh, or problem sets. So uh, we are in a constant evolution in the domain of data science and AI where the uh, methodologies and innovation front is not merely driven by the methods, but it's driven by what type of data is available. And that's why we as a group and at the AI Innovation Center, we're building capabilities that not only allows us to use big data, if you will, but also can extract effectively and efficiently new insights from limited data. You can augment the data with different methodologies, but also use uh, some uh, really mature applied mathematical methods to combine that information and basically build innovative approaches to extract a combined insight from the whole spectrum of information that you are, uh, that you have access to. Can you give us some context around the kinds of data that you look at or in general in the pharmaceutical industry that's being used? Yeah, the information can come from compound libraries in the drug discovery space. It comes from wet labs. It comes from uh, uh, publicly available, sometimes uh, uh, patient records. Uh, there are images. There are sometimes videos that are uh, being recorded along the process. So whatever information we can get our hands on, depending on the use case, can vary a lot. There is genomic information. There is blood work. There is laboratory uh, analysis that we can tap into. There is also uh, a large amounts of publicly available data that we use to augment the whole insight prediction process. So you're gathering this very broad spectrum of data, both uh, from within Novartis as well as external reference sources of a variety of different kinds. And all of that goes into the drug discovery and development process when you're doing your analysis. That's correct. Uh, and Novartis sits in a very unique place where it has, over the last two decades, recorded over 2 million patients' years worth of data that is accessible internally to our data scientists and biologists. Uh, in addition to the um, data that's been created and procured by the Novartis Institute for Biological Research, which has access to chemical data, images, and biology uh, specific to biology. Uh, the amounts of data that we're bringing in, but also we're tapping into publicly available data, data to augment the whole predictive process. And what kind of infrastructure needs to be in place to manage all of these different kinds of data, again, whether at Novartis or in general inside the industry as a whole? 
making data accessible and preventing data scientists to spend most of their time on data wrangling and data curation, I think is one of the major goals of every uh, larger uh, pharma company because there are lots of regulations. So companies have been investing billions of dollars in building that infrastructure that will make that data fluid internally, meaning uh, directly accessible and ready to analyze. So data scientists can use the innovative technologies and architectures to partner with uh, domain experts to uh, produce additional insights into the whole process. Is that generally an IT function or who's responsible for building that infrastructure? Again, just just in general across the industry. IT is definitely a major player and partner in that whole process, but depending on the strategies, priorities, and resources of companies, uh, which business unit and function it uh, is under uh, can really depend. We have a specific uh, data and AI function where we partner very closely with IT and we do cross-functional work in order to build and make that infrastructure really usable by all our data scientists. And what about the question of cloud versus on-premises? Does that come into play at all in terms of how you collect, gather, use, interpret the data, cloud versus on-premise? Yes, that is a question that's being addressed by our partners uh, from the technology world. Certainly, we have a major partner, which is Microsoft Research and AI Innovation Lab. We are working with them and use their cloud infrastructure for our uh, data pipelines, but we have internal uh, infrastructure as well that will allow us to run a quick exploratory studies, but also scale it up. So we, we basically are investing on both ends. Both ends, meaning both cloud and In, on internal infrastructure. Yes. Is any of this data real-time data? So we definitely work a lot with what is called a longitudinal data, which is uh, data recorded at different times, but those are primarily recorded and then we do a retrospective analysis on those data. So we don't do real-time analysis, but there is infrastructure in place with other functions where real-time data might be important. Can you give me an example of where real-time data might be important? The reason I'm asking is because one would think with drug discovery, you're collecting this data and then that data is analyzed after it's collected where you interpret it and then produce some type of conclusion. And that's not how we tend to think about real-time data. That's correct. So, so in the drug discovery and development space, I would say all the data that I've worked with exclusively have been recorded, but there is a temporal aspect to the data that plays a very important role in the analyses. But there are functions internally, a potential that relates to uh, market analysis uh, that need to tap into real-time data potentially uh, for their analysis and prediction, uh, which might use some real-time data, but I have not personally worked on those types of data. And obviously that's distinct from the process of drug discovery and development itself. That's correct. So so in the drug discovery and development domain, uh, the processes typically uh, last a very long time. And one of the uh, goals of AI and data science is to shorten that process. So um, most of the data is being recorded, but they have a temporal aspect that we really tap into and uh, use in our analyses. And so really then the an important goal is the shortening of 
that longitudinal period in order to drive conclusions more rapidly and bring drugs to market more quickly. That's correct. The cost goes up uh, linearly with the increased time that is spent on a particular drug development and discovery process. And the reason why it might take long, at least one aspect is to generate evidence and enroll cohorts and patients into the studies. With machine learning data science, we can shorten the period by creating additional evidence using some of the methodologies that we're developing, but also target specific patients and cohorts that will be more suitable for specific studies. So uh, machine learning definitely helps with shortening uh, the uh, study uh, timeline and also driving down the cost for uh, drug development and uh, discovery. Do you know whether there has been research conducted about the effectiveness of machine learning in order to shorten that time period to bring uh, drugs to market? Yes, the whole process, drug discovery to development is a very long process with multiple moving parts. And machine learning does currently play a role in most of those moving parts and has the potential to critically and positively affect the other remaining moving parts. So we are investigating and actively investing into building capabilities to augment every moving part in the whole pipeline that contributes to that process. What are some of the data challenges that you face, whether it's gathering high quality data, consistent data, or anything else that you run into or that people in the industry as a whole run into when collecting all of these various kinds of data? As, as you already mentioned, Michael, uh, machine learning, uh, specifically the standard methodologies rely on the amount of information that's in the data that's being gathered. So the more data, the better. In the healthcare domain and biotech, the amount of data is a constant problem because it takes a long time to gather the data to make it clean, enough for the data scientists to be used, but also accessing the data across different business units can be challenging because of the uh, stringent uh, regulation. So everything above that you mentioned, getting clean data, getting the amount of data that we require to produce evidence, but also accessing the data, which relates to the investment into the infrastructure are all important aspects of the whole process. Do you face a different set of data challenges than folks who were doing traditional lab-based work? I would say yes and no. Uh, some of the um, different challenges that we face when we basically go into gathering the data coming from different laboratories, uh, coming from external vendors and also internal uh, clinical trials, the challenge is to really combine information that is coming from different streams. The internal biases might be very different. The noise can be very different. Whereas in the lab, the pipeline can be very homogenous, even though it can be biased, but once they identify that specific bias, it can be addressed uh, immediately. Whereas when we work with multiple uh, data sources, the underlying problems and biases can be more complicated. In a lab, obviously, it's a much more controlled setting, whereas you're taking all comers, so to speak. 
That's correct. As you said, so things can be controlled in a lab, but it's still a, a painful process for the people in the lab to do things manually. Whereas we are trying to automate that process as much as possible. We basically tap into uh, methodologies that can be uh, semi-supervised, as they call, or unsupervised or self-supervised. So, so we take incremental steps in adding levels of sophistication uh, when we're building the methodologies, but we take uh, incremental steps, which is, I think, uh, very critical in the process. Now, you mentioned bias. How do you ensure that the level of bias is reduced to a minimum when you're working with these large data sets? That is an outstanding question. The domain is actively uh, investing into building well-defined strategies to address biases when it comes to data collection and analysis. So that there are uh, two types of biases that we can talk about. One of them is inherent to the data, and we can test that with a placebo group or if we have an additional set of data that we can compare the data that we're working on, we can come up with a metric that can give us an insight into what type of biases there are in terms of the content or data itself. And then we have uh, biases that might come from the methodology that we're applying to. And there we also have in place uh, some approaches which we can use to measure effectively what type of biases there might be. So uncertainty prediction here plays a critical role in understanding what we're predicting. And this is kind of an ongoing uh, and dynamically evolving area within data science. It sounds like the bias issue, both from an inherent bias standpoint, as well as a process standpoint, sounds like this is these are both very important issues to your team and to the industry in general. Very much so, and this is specifically important in healthcare and biotech because the decisions that we make based on the models uh, will affect patients' lives. So we are uh, investing into really identifying those biases and try to come up with ethical ways of defining our pipeline and processes. The ethics issue is a very thorny one as well. That's correct. Do you want to expand on why the ethical aspects are challenging? Yes, AI and ethics uh, has, as well as the other areas of AI, been evolving. But one of the reasons why it has not matured as quickly as the other areas is we uh, did not have investment and partnership from social science sciences coming into play and partnering with uh, engineers and scientists on the specific issue. We have seen that kind of partnership evolving and becoming more mature, uh, but we still need to find ways to intersect with social sciences and academia and other players that can really contribute to that whole effort. It's not only a technical issue, but there are topics that really touch the technical aspects of what we do, but uh, has to do with social sciences and understanding the society and the technology and the long-term ramifications. So it is a truly interdisciplinary domain. And that collaboration has not evolved as quickly as the technical aspects of AI. Well, certainly when it comes to issues such as equitable access to healthcare resources, types of diseases that are studied, the costs and so forth, healthcare is very different from virtually every other domain for obvious reasons, right? Hey, if I'm sick, I don't care how much it costs, but at the same time, 
I don't want to have my health insurance go up. So obviously the social aspects are extremely complex, needless to say. Very much so, Michael. Healthcare, biotech, pharma is a very complicated domain. There are multiple uh, uh, partners that have to be actively engaging into the discussion and development of the methodologies uh, that we are kind of uh, uh, pushing uh, at the frontier. We cannot be only uh, driven by academia. We cannot be only driven by technology. We definitely have to partner effectively uh, with uh, uh, domain experts coming from different disciplines. And it's truly an interdisciplinary domain, which makes it sometimes very difficult, but it's worth investing into and it's exciting. Tell us about the composition of your team. You, you've mentioned this interdisciplinary aspect a number of times. So how does your team reflect that emphasis? Because data science and AI is very interdisciplinary, we have been focusing on attracting talent that can bring in their diverse backgrounds into uh, our operations and pipelines with their contributions. So we are attracting talent from very different domains, ranging from physics, mathematics, uh, bioinformatics, chemistry, uh, you name it. We have even uh, people with uh, social sciences background that have built some analytical skills on top that are contributing to our ongoing efforts. So you're bringing people together with very different, diverse set of backgrounds. That is correct. And one thing that is very important in uh, data science is we cannot focus only on the capabilities they, they, they bring on board, mainly because uh, capabilities, if they're not nurtured, uh, they can become obsolete in six to nine months. So we want to attract talent that can really learn, adapt, and is truly interdisciplinary and is curious. This is why when I go out and talk to my peers and colleagues, I want to focus on curiosity and the potential to learn in addition to the capabilities that they bring to the table. So it's not just a matter of having the scientific background, but they need the right type of mindset and culture, really. Absolutely. Sometimes that becomes more important with the potential, certainly, to learn the technical aspects of the work that we do, which is very technical. I think the mindset plays a pivotal role in becoming successful in the domain of data science and AI. So they need the right technical chops, the right technical skills for managing and dealing with the problems you address, as well as that cultural and mindset view. What are some of those core technical skills that as a baseline, they at least have to possess? Certainly a good level of understanding of the mathematics of the work that we do, the machine learning and computational aspects of what we do are kind of the minimum uh, technical capabilities that we look for. But in addition to those, uh, we want to attract talent that can learn, adapt to a changing environment, can ingest data and information quickly and execute because what is relevant today uh, might become obsolete in six to nine months, as I just mentioned. So uh, in addition to the mathematical and computational uh, core capabilities, we're looking for talent that can adapt, learn, and execute uh, in a short time. So that adaptability is key because drug discovery and development is evolving at a very rapid pace. That's correct. And uh, data science in particular, on top of uh, drug discovery, is evolving even faster. So when we sit in the room, uh, more often than not, I mean, we uh, feel like we don't know 
anything about the topics that are being discussed in the world of biology or chemistry. I certainly come from an astrophysics background, but we need to be able to effectively interface and ingest and understand the, uh, the information that is coming from domain experts and implement that and integrate that into the methodologies that we're developing. So being able to really understand information, uh, digest it, and implement it into the work that we do, I think is, is, is critical if you want to be successful in the future. That's very interesting. So you have your domain expertise, but then you're drawing data capabilities, skills, techniques, analysis, skills, capabilities, techniques from other domains as well outside of biopharmaceutical. That's correct. So Our approaches and technical roadmaps are driven and should be driven by the information that's available to us. Mainly, it should be data-driven. But we are basically blind if we don't interface with the domain experts effectively. We would be purely empiricists if we don't use that domain information. And that plays also a pivotal role in building a comprehensive Uh, a machinery that will give additional insights for whatever problem that we're tackling. So again, not necessarily at Novartis specifically, but the data is obviously very highly domain specific, but the analytical techniques may come from other fields. Is that a correct way to state it? Absolutely. And this is where the innovation frontier is. In fact, I've used some of uh, the techniques that have been developed in the domain of astrophysics, applied mathematics into uh, new uh, problem sets. And this is one of the two ways innovation can happen. One way to innovate is to build and develop new methodologies. But the other means of innovating is to apply advanced methodologies to new problems. And this is exactly what we do. Interesting. So so innovation can come from how you gather the data, the types of data, where you're gathering that data. But innovation can also come from the analytical techniques that you're bringing to bear to operate on that body of data. Yes, the second one is definitely correct. We can use methodologies that are developed in different domains, applied to new sets of problems. And we are also interfacing with leading institutions and pioneers to co-develop and co-innovate new methodologies uh, that has not been around, uh, which is brand new. And then we can apply it to standard problems as well as new problems. Okay, so you're dealing with a group of very, very bright people, in many cases, industry-leading folks, whether it's your at your partner, academic institutions, or the people from different backgrounds working on your team. So my question is a really basic one, which is, how do you get them from killing each other? Uh, that's a good question. Attracting talent with diverse backgrounds definitely has its ups and downs, and uh, certainly gathering that diverse background and insight into a given problem is very, very valuable. But also it brings in uh, different characters with different cultural backgrounds, how they process information, how they communicate can be very domain specific. So that brings a challenge to the leadership where they have to really uh, use their leadership skills to build an effective team that can operate as one team and that can execute as one team. And that is certainly a challenge. One of the two features that we see in global studies that is a determining factor in success or failure uh, for data science operations is actually not the technical capability. Uh, One of them is 
uh, the type of leadership. And the uh, second one is the culture. And both are very related in terms of determining whether a data science operation can be and will be successful in the midterm and long term. And certainly what I have been advocating and telling to students when I give public talks is, in addition to the technical skill sets, definitely invest into your soft skills because it will be very important not only with your internal teams, but also when you are interfacing with domain experts that will be from a different discipline because everybody communicates very differently and opening up an effective communication channel is number one in order to understand what the problem is and then we'll build the solution on top of that. I would have to assume that aside from communication that you described so eloquently, being very clear about the outcomes must be top of mind as well as a means to align the team and get everybody working in the same direction to achieve the same or a common goal. Absolutely. Being uh, outcome focused is very important, but also there is an exploratory aspect to data science. And sometimes it can be very limiting to the whole process. It can make things not very clear. So it, it is up to the leader to clarify that process and build a roadmap that accounts for the exploratory aspect of the whole process. So certainly we need to explore. We cannot always identify certain outcomes from the get-go. We need to be able to adapt to information that's coming in and build uh, the risk accordingly. That's hard. That's ma managing that kind of R&D is really hard because you're dealing with so many unknowns. That's correct. So in, in data science operations, what we see in the domain is primarily it's outcome driven by business units. This is not where essentially innovation happens. But then there's the other end of the spectrum where uh, most of the uh, data science operations is R&D driven where a lot of exploration goes on. Our perspective and approach to innovation is to find a strategic balance between R&D and real world execution. And certainly it will become a kind of a balance that is driven by the priorities and resources of companies. Bulent, given all of this, what advice do you have for AI leaders or business leaders in general for managing AI teams and becoming more effective inside their own organizations at dealing with large amounts of data or even dealing with sparse data problems as you were describing earlier? The value proposition of data science and AI uh, is not only uh, for long-term implementation. And this is typically the perceived approach of R&D driven institutions, which have the resources to invest only for the long-term. But in many of the industry partners and companies, the resources are not there or the priorities are not in place to invest only for the long term. Then the strategy goes in the opposite direction where data science and AI is used only for short term outcomes and uh, use cases. And there what we see is that data science operations will become uh, less effective and the value proposition will decline over time because there are not enough investments for midterm and long-term capability building. So in order to sustain the value creation that comes from data science and AI, I think a smart strategic roadmap will be to invest both into R&D driven exploratory 
core capability building strategies, as well as real world impact that can be executed immediately. So a balance between the two, I think is an ideal place to be for any data science operations and where that needle is in terms of the percentages, how much do you want to invest into R&D exploratory core capability building, as well as execution will depend on the priorities, the timelines, uh, and the alignment of multiple partners internally uh, in any company. Great advice. Everybody should have clarity around where they strike that balance for their particular organization at this particular time or where they're projecting into the future. And speaking of the future, can we finish up? Can you give us some glimpse as to where data-driven drug discovery and development are headed? We are seeing an impact today and value creation that comes from AI and data science implementation in the process of drug discovery and development. But I think we're just at the beginning of that journey, and mainly because the whole pipeline evolution is rather slow in the domain of biotechnology and pharma. And also when I look at the methodologies that are being developed by uh, leading institutions and pioneers in the field of data science, uh, that can be implemented in the drug discovery are just making their ways into uh, that process. So I'm very optimistic that the impact and footprint of AI and data science in the whole drug discovery process will increase, uh, maybe exponentially in the near future. Okay, what a fascinating conversation. Bulan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for the invite. It's always great talking to you, Michael. We've been talking with Bulent Kaziltan. He is head of causal and predictive analytics at the AI Innovation Lab at Novartis. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As a reminder, you can watch all podcast episodes on redis.com slash the data economy. Check out redis.com slash business for related executive content.